Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I created this show because I want to speak to leaders, experts, HR, CEOs, people around the world who really understand the importance of humanizing the workplace, of transforming leaders. And from my perspective, that's really about going on an inward journey because until you do the inward journey and think about the being, it's really hard to think about what you're doing and how you're showing up. And today's guest is going to be perfect for this discussion. I can't wait to, to talk to you more about his book. We're going to really dig into that today. And I am so excited to introduce you to Cody Schwan. Cody is the president and founder of Everlearn Associates. He's a keynote speaker, trainer, facilitator, and he's the author of Everyday Legacy. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you, Cody. And before we dig into the book, you have a very rich, interesting career journey. So I would love for you to share with the audience, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you to where you are now. Sure. Well, it, interesting is one word to describe it. Uh, others have described it with other adjectives, but I started my career as a funeral director and embalmer. And that started from a relatively young age through a high school co-op placement. I went on to study mortuary science and then graduated and have been in that world for the last 20 years. I worked corporately for the first, uh, you know, 15 years or so. And then I, about seven and a half years ago, launched my own consultancy. Uh, and primarily I'm consulting around HR, especially around leadership development, uh, team development and culture in an organization. Um, those those soft skills, the fun stuff to train and to teach and to work with organizations and help them up level from where they are to where they want to be. And uh, my role in corporate funeral service was just that, at least for the last eight years or so. Uh, I worked nationally across Canada with leaders and their teams. And so my career has really evolved over the years. It started off very, uh, very much hands-on in the funeral space and then evolved so that my impact could uh, continue and grow and, and multiply and really, really affect those who were on the front line serving families uh, directly in the, in the latter part of my career. Wow. And I can see how there's so many lessons that you would learn working as a funeral director that translate to what's happening in corporate, what's happening in terms of leadership development. Um, and, and we're going to dig into a couple of those stories. But I think as a starting point, when you think about Everyday Legacy, and for everyone who's watching on video, I'm going to just hold up the book. It's a wonderful book. And it's not one of those books where you just read it once, cover to cover, and you're done. You could anytime, pick it up and read a chapter as a reminder. I think the words that you're writing, the stories that you share are stories that sometimes we need to hear over and over and over again to keep us grounded and centered in what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, I tried to write uh, a business book around leadership development and organizational development, people, culture, everything that you and I know and love. And I tried probably three or four times and I just hated what I was writing. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, I would write and I wouldn't get past the first chapter. It wasn't that I, I, I wasn't passionate about it. Obviously in my work, I'm incredibly passionate, but it's just, it was not speaking to me. And, and there was nothing really new, uh, you know, that, that I could say, I could put my stamp on and say, this is a, a Cody Schuen thing. That, that wasn't, that wasn't, happening. And so I thought, logically, I must not know how to write a book. I just must not know how to do it. You know, that real left brain kicked in. 
And I thought, well, the logical way that I would fix that, the way that I encourage even clients, uh, what I encourage clients to do is find a coach. Find a coach specific to your area, hire them and learn from them. Be a sponge. And so I hired a book coach. Uh, she lives on the East Coast. She's an incredible human. We hit it off right away. And I thought all those obstacles that I had encountered would go away. And they, and they didn't. <laughs> so here we were trying to massage and flesh out this, this, this idea. And it wasn't happening. And at one point she said, look, stop. She said, tell me right now in one or two sentences, one thing that you believe with absolute conviction. Just what is that? Go. Don't think, just go. And I thought for literally a millisecond and it burst out of me. And I said, look, I really think after all these, this years, all, all these years surrounded by death in the funeral space, I really think we have the definition of legacy all wrong. Everything we know or we're taught or we think about legacy is that it's something that comes after, something that's there once we're gone, once we're dead. And I really believe that if we shifted that narrative of legacy being left to something we live every single day, how powerful would it be to really understand the depth and breadth of our impact in this world and then multiply it and allow a ripple effect from that whatever it is we put into the world, kindness, positivity, compassion, empathy, all those really, really important ingredients that make this world spin much more nicely um, and create much richer experiences, both personally and professionally, I think we, the world would be a better place. And she leaned, I could, I could literally feel her leaning into the phone and she said, tell me more. And four hours later, we hung up the phone. And so she said at the end of that conversation, look, I think there's, there's a book there. There's something there around this idea of legacy. And after a four hour conversation, it's clear to me you have a lot to say about it. So why don't we have our next call about that? And Everyday Legacy was, was born. That's how it all got started. I love that. And I think it really speaks to, and you've, you talk about some of this in, in the book as well, um, really getting to your authentic self and your story. We all have stories to tell and our journeys. And it's, it's interesting because I even remember when at, at the beginning as a keynote speaker, I felt like, oh, I haven't experienced tragedy. I haven't had this big, huge trauma. So how can I go up there? You know, I didn't climb Mount Everest or whatever. You have these preconceived notions of what it looks like to stand up in that stage and, and say a story. And what I learned over time, actually the power comes in the, the small stories, the simple moments. It kind of reminds me as you, as I think about your uh, sticker book moment, right? And even as I was reading, you could talk about that, but with your sticker book moment, I, I was like, I forgot about my sticker book and, and how, how much that meant to me and the meaning that came from it and the stories and the dialogue I had with friends and all of this stuff. And, and so it reminded me again, as I read your story, how connection comes from us sharing our story, whatever that story is. And sometimes those things that we've experienced on our journey are incredibly meaningful to other people and they see themselves through those stories. Yeah, in fact, what you're saying right now is was one of the redefining moments, I would say, for me that helped me to start to think about legacy a lot differently. You know, I was standing outside of the chapel listening to a funeral service, conducting a funeral service for an older gentleman. Yeah. And the stories that people were sharing about him were just in, incredible. He sounded like a human I would like to know or be related to just this idea of of this person being filled with kindness and with compassion and love who is really caring and attentive and loyal all these adjectives that literally through their stories brought tears of joy and tears of sadness it was 
it was really a, a pretty powerful ceremony and service. And the truth is, I'd heard thousands before then, probably thousands of service, but something about this one struck me. And I had this idea, this thought around, gee, I really hope the guy at the front of the room who's in a casket understood before he got there the depth and breadth of his impact. Did he know how much he meant to the people in the room? Because if this were the first time he were to hear it, that would be a shame. You know, how powerful is it when we can share with others, and this is again, both personally and professionally, how their gifts impact us. Because oftentimes the things, our superpowers, the things that we're known for, aren't always shed in the best light. You know, me as a kid, as a student, I was told on probably, it's funny, I've asked my mom to dig up those old report cards because I think it's all of them that say, Cody talks too much and Cody is distracted in class. I think it was like everyone. <laughs> it just became like this thing, you know, when I was younger, I was like, well, I, I know that's going to be there. And I really had this negative association to those two qualities growing up, which was essentially, you know, you, you see these things over time and you don't read them for too long before you don't start to believe them. And, and this happens in our professional capacities all the time, where whatever it is we're doing, when we're told that that has no value, that it's not helpful, that it's too expensive, that all, all these different things, that we don't start to, to ingrain those beliefs into ourselves. And so this idea around me being you know, too talkative and too disruptive or distracted, if you will, or distracted and then disruptive, um, essentially meant that I learned to shut up and to just continually try and focus to not let my mind wander and thankfully i broke through those shackles because look at me now i mean i spend my career talking i you know i'm on stages i'm you know a, a coach and a management consultant you know i i make my money by sharing my ideas by being innovative by looking for opportunities or solutions that are outside of the norm being distracted ultimately by the problem in order to create a solution. And so oftentimes we have to reframe these things in a purposeful way. And, and that certainly happened for me in, in this experience I share with that in the book. Absolutely. And I think so much of that as we get into adulthood is recognizing some of those, uh, some of that conditioning and those stories that we were told that weren't true. Uh, for, for me, it was about being bossy, right? And unfortunately for girls, so often, right? Mm. It would be other people saying to my mom, you know, she's a little bit bossy. You need to work on that bossy part. All of these different things where I, I love Cheryl Sandberg says, don't call her bossy. She has executive leadership skills. And instead of that really being promoted and celebrated, it was more let's, let's hush, let's keep it down, take it down a notch. And same with you, right? You recognize that you want to be up there speaking. Well, there's, there was a voice in mind. There was a voice of mine that wanted to be heard that had something to say. <laughs> and it was, it was coming from a place of not speaking just to speak, speaking because coming from passion and, and self-expression. And sometimes it's going back and, and finding that voice. And just for the guests listening, I don't want them to miss out since they perhaps haven't read the book yet on the sticker book. Talk to us about the sticker book. <laughs> So the sticker book is what opens the story, essentially. It's an introduction to this weird little mind that grew up in a population of, I like to say, no one, uh, 400 people. We, I grew up in a place that had one stop sign that no one ever stopped at. You know, it was, it was really small, uh, a bedroom community, if you will, where everyone knew almost everything about everyone. 
and uh, and we were all bused to school. There was no no option to walk. Maybe if you lived across from the, the road from the rural school, but that was the only person that walked. And so it was a really really small community. And and what that meant is that there really wasn't a sense of community for all the ways that there could be. And maybe there was for adults, but for kids who were bused to school, it meant that your community was a 20 minute bus ride away and only lasted from you know nine to three every day. And where I grew up, almost every telephone call was a long distance phone call. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, that's just how, where we lived. And so on the weekends, it wasn't like we biked to friends or we even got rides to friends. It just was not a priority. When, when I was younger. The only time I saw people outside of school was maybe if I was involved in an extracurricular sport or something like that. So ultimately I had to create community and I had this sticker book and my family was frugal as all get out and didn't spend money unnecessarily. And so this book was actually not a sticker book. It was a, a, a photo album, an old photo album with, album with those acetate plastic sheets, you know, the ones that you peeled off and which totally destroyed the backs and fronts of photos if you left them there too long, you know, from the 70s. You got to carefully peel it away. Anyway, that's what I got. I got this old album that mom had upgraded, um, probably to the one where you slid the photos in instead of tacking them down. You know, that was an upgrade back then. Who prints photos nowadays? Anyway, um, so here was this beautiful gold uh, coiled green shimmery book and on these acetate pages I would put these stickers and at a very young age I developed an appetite for reading um, and I read ferociously. Um, Judy Bloom was probably my favorite uh, author back in the day and I read everything she could write uh, and so I started to get very interested in the newspaper and I would just flip through and when I found a story I would start to read it and and then I stumbled across the obituaries. Now, the obituaries for context for those listening and watching was not a death notice. This wasn't something that announced you know, the visitation times and the funeral times. This was an obituary that went in to the newspaper probably a month or two after the person died. And it was, you know, a couple of columns that really enveloped someone's lifetime. It talked about who they were, you know, who their familial connections were, what their passions were, if, you know, they were philanthropic, what those charities were, where they gave their time and or money, all those sort of things. Uh, and really created or recreated for me in my mind, in my young creative little mind, who this person really was. Mm -hmm. And, and so at one point in my community, this young man um, was killed in a car accident. He was young. He played hockey at the time I played hockey. And he wasn't that much older than me. And this, this photo on the cover of the newspaper was these six young boys basically carrying this smaller casket. And I mean, at the time, I didn't probably realize how heartbreaking it was. I'm more identified with the young people in the photo as this is not something I've seen before. I thought only old people died. I didn't really maybe have the context to know that this young boy could have died. And the newspaper just talked about how he died, the car accident, the time, the play. It didn't talk about who he was. And I was instantly curious, who, who was he? Was he someone I could be friends with? Was, you know, I couldn't quite see the photos. Back then, photos were not the quality they are today. Couldn't quite make out the photos. Did I know anyone? Did maybe my brother know anyone? And all these questions around who this kid was. And... I curiously cut the newspaper uh, article out and I folded the news story around the photo mm -hmm. and I put it into my sticker book and I held it down with four stickers. It was just a curiosity and, and 
it might sound odd to listeners, but it was just a very natural thing that I just did. I just cut it out. And so rewind slightly in the story to these obituaries and what ended up happening was the characters that came to life more vividly in my mind through those one or two columns. If I, if I thought they were interesting, I literally, they made the cut into the sticker book. Yeah. And I essentially started to amass this cast of characters, this, this book that I would turn and I could see Ruth and then I could turn and I could see John and then I could turn and I could see mm-hmm. Phil. And I could literally picture these people alive based on the stories. And some people are thinking, wow, super weird, super macabre. But it wasn't about death. It was, in fact, about how they lived and who they were. And I had no idea who the heck these people were, but my creative mind was on overdrive. And this became a bit of a community for me, you know, in the time that wasn't filled with uh, school or the odd extracurricular, you know, when I was home alone without really siblings. Uh, My youngest sister, there's a seven-year gap between us. So, you know, uh, she was still very much a child at that age. And so this just became this cast of characters that I really enjoyed. And oddly enough, my mother found uh, that photo album at one point. Perhaps mothers listening might be like, holy smokes, I would get that away from that child. There's something maybe wrong. And she didn't do that. And I'm so thankful today she didn't because again, the negative associations that we create through the things that we hear might've told me that that behavior was odd, to not be curious, to to not be vivid and creative. Um, obviously subconsciously, I, I might have heard those things, but really for me, it was, it was my quest for human connection. I love to know what makes people tick, why they connect with certain individuals. As, as you know, someone who's involved in leadership development, what makes an incredible leader versus one that, you know, just is not engaging and is not um, maybe operating at their peak performance in their leadership capacity? As you know, team members, what galvanizes some people to this, to the idea of an organization, the purpose of an organization, while others don't get as galvanized? It has literally fascinated me, and to this day, still does. And so, this quest for human connection, I say, started then, and um, I no longer, I no longer cut out obituaries from the newspaper uh, and uh, and stick them in my sticker book. Um, however, the quest for human connection continues. And um, I think is is throughout this entire book, and certainly is interlaced in in everything I do as a professional in in my work and personally too. Absolutely, and I think even you know you already having the foresight, it's like there's a part of you that just connected in that way to the the legacy and what was what did that look like without even you realizing. It's kind of like those whispers that were there already as a young child. And so one of the things that also shows up for me, Cody, is when we think about having regrets, right? So that's one of the things you would have seen sometimes as a funeral director. And I, I love this part that you talk about on page 51, where you say, you know, I can't, I can't count the number of times I've heard, I wish I had, or I wish I hadn't said or done. I wish I'd visited more, called more. I wish I'd gone to, I hadn't gone to bed angry. I should have said, I love you. I should have not had that argument. Why didn't I give them more, one more hug? And then you say, the sad truth is, most of the regrets I heard were about very manageable changes in behavior. Yeah, hundred percent. And when I say I can't count, it's not a figure of speech. I, I, I literally couldn't even begin to count. I heard it so frequently. Uh, you know, it's not like 10 or 20 times. It's more like, you know, probably thousands of times you know, where someone was caught off guard by a loss and had some sort of regret attached to something that had happened in the 
days or perhaps even months that that you know ahead of this loss and you know really it was this little voice in my head that thought you know why did you go to bed angry or why didn't you say i love you or why did you allow that to grow and fester and create a divide between you and this person you know if it were physically possible why didn't you go climb Mount Everest you know whatever the case may be and of course that never spilled out you know on the arrangement table with families that that you know I would never pass such judgment um, and further perhaps those what I call echoes of regret um, that will probably plague some of these people for years you know, and it, and so it, you only have to see that so many times before it doesn't start to shift who you are and how you show up in the world. Now, I had the fortunate circumstance, and I say fortunate, of sitting with these families in these moments of loss in a really trusted position and heard these echoes of regret. And so I use that as a lesson to shift how I show up in the world. So I won't go to bed angry. I, I won't uh, hang up a phone if I love someone without telling them I love them. Yeah. I know that death has no clock. It waits for no one. As much as we might try and put it off, as much as we might, you know, work hard to try and keep our bodies fit and our minds, you know, dialed in, all of those things, it really is, uh, you know, it, it really has no prejudice whatsoever to who it affects. And the timeline is the same. And so my hope was that in writing about this, that it shifted people's behavior, either again, personally or professionally, and how they're showing up. You know, oftentimes, personally, I think we understand, but professionally, I think sometimes it's harder to, you know, to understand how the lesson applies. And I think as a leader, you know, uh, we can choose how we show up and how we engage with people every single day. And eventually, those stories will be written into the narrative of that individual. And so when you look back, what do you want your leadership legacy to look like? When someone talks about you 20 years later, 40 years later, first of all, are they talking about you? And did you make an impact in a positively powerful way that they now lead uh, in a certain way as a consequence of how you showed up for them? And that's powerful. When you think about that, that is so powerful. And some of us are blessed to hear from people um, where you were totally oblivious to any potential impact or shift that might have happened. But because of how you chose to show up, it shifted who they are and how they lead now, or personally, who they show up as in the world and, and how they try and conduct themselves with their behavior. So it, it, it can be powerful when we take the lessons that are in the book and, um, and apply them in our lives, both at work and at home. And I think it's so important. And I'm curious if you have any recommendations of ways for people to keep that front and center so that they are, you know, I, I talk with clients sometimes around things that they're doing to anchor themselves. Sometimes it's something visual. It might be a screensaver. It might be a word that's written in the mirror in their bedroom that's written several places so that they're keeping it front and center. Um, do you have any recommendations of, of ways that people can really um, have this as a, a commitment that they're honoring so it is front and center every day? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you know, I, I, I wrote this book to be non-prescriptive. So, and I'm sure you've gleaned that from reading. It's not a how-to book. It's not prescriptively laid out. It's meant to inspire people to see themselves in the stories, perhaps the circumstances, the relationships, and then apply uh, the lessons in their own life. So that's, that's the first piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But 
The second piece of the puzzle is that I really truly believe that if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. And so that's powerful when we look at this book, which is really written very personally, not only personally from my perspective, but it's targeted at an individual. Um, because I really believe that when we can manage ourselves, we can manage others and in no other order. It doesn't work the other way around. Uh, or if it does, uh, I'd love to have a discussion about it. I've not seen that before, uh, where someone learns by doing and then figures out how to do it themselves. It, these, you know, leadership is inherent in who we are, and we can build out our leadership skills. But there has to be that seed has to be there, and and we have to nurture it and grow it, and we can't abandon it. Something that takes time to develop, you know, over sometimes a long period of time. And so when you think about the lessons many of the lessons that I talk about are personal. So things like gratitude, you know, having a real practice around gratitude. Now for me, as you know, you've read the book, that evolved from this, this idea of writing down, you know, three things or five things I'm grateful for at the end of the day, closing the book and putting it away and then revisiting it, you know, 12 hours later, 24 hours later, whenever I would revisit it, it became like a habit and it didn't really fill me up anymore. It wasn't something that was really very helpful. And so I thought, how do I evolve this practice to be something that I can put through my entire day that isn't just personally focused, it isn't just professionally focused, but it sort of envelops my whole existence here. And it can be as simple as recognizing, you know, someone who's helpful during the day. It can be as complex as, you know, completing a project and celebrating as a team, you know, something that's taken 18 months to bring to, to you know, to fruition. It doesn't matter what it is, but throughout the day, instead of waiting until the end of the day, be thankful in the moment for those things. Yes. And add to that, uh, and I call that micro-acknowledgement. So it's taking that, that practice and embedding it into your every moment of every day that you can. Now, I don't go around in my head all day being thankful for absolutely everything, but the things that make me smile, that light me up, that fill my cup, those are the things that I take just a moment for in my mind to be thankful for. And there's a, there's a trick piece to this, and that is, letting it spill out mm -hmm. so actually saying to the person who made a difference hey thanks so much you made that, that I, i've never had such a great experience at starbucks you made my day um and why because that's going to impact them in a purposeful way that then creates more of that behavior and so it seems inconsequential but in fact it has the power to be quite consequential um, and to really be of consequence. And that's, I think that's the beautiful part of this idea of micro-acknowledgement is it becomes something every single day. Beyond that, I, I think the paying it forward piece is really important. Uh, and I, I say paying it forward, it's cliche, but everyone knows what it means. And that is sharing with someone the difference they make in your life because of how they show up. Yeah. And I also think that creating time to pause is critical. It is the one thing, especially in leadership, and I talk about this a lot in the book, you know, as my career trajectory continued to go up and up and up and I attained higher levels, it's almost, for me in my experience, as though unless it benefited my career and my position, it almost became unimportant to me. And I look back and talk about echoes of regret, holy smokes, have I ever got some around that because I missed some real milestones in my life that I should have taken the time to celebrate, not only my own, but other people's uh, relationships um, that I should have had that I didn't pay attention to and relationships I should not have had that I paid too much attention mm. to. Um, you know, I really feel like I was going 
900 miles an hour and the periphery was blurry. And my whole attitude was, if you can keep up, great. If you can't, you can't, too bad. And I look back now, you know, uh, you know, with a little bit of regret, I'm working on that because, you know, that behavior lasted for almost my entire corporate career. I mean, I hit a pretty upward trajectory pretty quickly in, the, in that corporate space. And, you know, within eight years, I was in a senior, you know, I was in a senior leadership position, an executive with a, you know, a, a Canadian operation. We served uh, about 22, 23,000 families annually. Um, you know, I had 800 employees through 90 managers. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was a, it was a big career and I had a lot of responsibility and a lot of accountability. And many parts of me still look back fondly at that experience because without that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I have to be thankful for it yeah. in some odd way. Um, but I also have to reconcile the pieces that I, that I, that I didn't love or that still rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that's what leadership is all about. Leadership is about being able to recognize, to, to have vulnerability be a key central focus in your leadership, mm-hmm. I think is the magic equation that too many leaders are missing. Mm. This idea of being stoic and strong, and those things are important. Those are ingredients in a leader that, that people want to see, but people also want to know that you are a human and that you have compassion and empathy and that you can be vulnerable at the right times in the right moments for the right reasons. And I think that when I look at old Cody, that Cody that operated in that world, I do not see those ingredients as part of, unless you were really close to me, uh, you didn't get to see that. And that was because it was this idea of who I was. Mm -hmm. And this idea, the more people that subscribed to it and believed in it, the more it rooted that foundation and who I was and how I showed up in the world. And, you know, just because you have a buyer doesn't mean they're the right buyer. <laughs> and so for me, I had, you know, in theory, the right buyers, but these right buyers were people like mentors and other corporate stakeholders who wanted to have that person in the position I was in. Yeah. And when I look back, it just wasn't the ingredients that really made up who I really was. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, the last seven and a half years have been a transformation of yeah. me pulling out the pieces that I love from that corporate work and then recreating and repositioning and rebranding almost um, how to have heart and empathy and vulnerability in the work that you do. And this book, I think, was like, um, you know, a, a big piece of that puzzle to show that, you know, if I can share some of the stories I've shared in the lessons and I can impart those to individuals slash leaders, um, even slash frontline workers, then that's about creating impact in a really important way. It's about acknowledging how we're showing up in the world and how that is a gift to people without us perhaps even realizing. Mm. You're speaking my language, Cody. I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's so important what you've alluded to. And, and, and like you realize that that was your journey and you wouldn't have gotten to this place that you're at now if you hadn't experienced that. And I see this so often with leaders because I do work with 
high performers, high achievers, go, go, go doers. And you can't truly be the best version of yourself if you're not pausing and you're not checking in with yourself and you're not asking questions. And I like what you said as well, because this is my experience um, working with a lot of different leaders. There is no one size fits all. There is no one formula. However, where I do think the formula is the same for everyone is the pause. Because if you're not creating space, if you're not pausing, then there's nowhere to even ask yourself what are those questions? What does it look like to, um, to be able to fill myself with joy and think about how I want to show up? Where's that space? And I think sometimes the questions even change. I, you know, for, for me, for a while, the question I ask every, myself every morning is, how do I want to serve powerfully today? Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, do I want to, who do I want to acknowledge today? Who do I want to be grateful? Who do I want to go and share? So constantly asking those questions you say this in the book, how do I want to be remembered today? How do I want to show up today for like you're talking about with that everyday legacy? And those questions that are going to really resonate with us are unique to us. There's going to be that question that you ask. Then when you, when you hear that question, it's just, it aligns you and reminds you, okay, this is how I want to show up in the world today. Yeah. And I think for those listening and watching and who are thinking, you know, what is the question I ask myself? you know, every single day? Is it, how, how do I want to show up? How do I want? And I, I find that in my conversations with people, they, you know, especially up until writing the book and putting it out into the world, people would ask. And I would often vacillate between, you know, answers based on who I was talking to. And I realized at some point, there's just one question. There's just one question you have to ask yourself that can articulate you beautifully to alignment. And that is, if today were my last day, mm. how would I want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. And that might sound a bit macabre. It might sound a bit, you know, very death heavy. It is. Uh, and in many ways, that's the whole reason that it can steer you so powerfully is when you think, geez, Louise, if, if this was it, I want to make sure I'm filled with energy and life and that I'm being kind to myself and kind to others, that I'm cautious and careful in my responses, in my behavior. And so that one little question, how do I want to be remembered, can shift every single day. It's the question I ask myself every single morning. Mm. And in fact, when you realize it has nothing to do with death. You know, I spent 20 years in a career surrounded by death and learned nothing about dying. You know, everything that I have learned, I have learned from dying, but everything I have learned are lessons about life and how to live powerfully, how to show up in a meaningful, purposeful way. Like I, like, like I say, with purpose, on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's a choice that we have to make every single day. And so when you can ask yourself that question, how do I want to be remembered? It can steer you so powerfully every single morning. And so I encourage, um, you know, I encourage listeners to ask that question. And it can create this Uh, you know, this fear in the beginning, gosh, I'm talking about my own death. I'm thinking about my own death. You realize very quickly, you're not thinking about your own death. You're actually thinking about how you show up today while you're alive. And, and so that my question, you know, when anyone asks is just that it's not a series of questions, not a, you know, based on who I'm talking to. It's one question. How do you want to be remembered? 
Right. And I do feel like that really puts things into perspective because, you know, just thinking for myself this morning, uh, my kids were going to the grandparents' house. And as I woke them up, instead of rushing to wake them up, I got into the bed with each child and just snuggled with them for two minutes. Right. Those are those moments. I'm never going to get those two minutes back or those moments where we're a couple of seconds late for school or those moments where somebody says something and they're not necessarily thinking and showing up as their best selves. What would it look like? for me to show up with a lot of compassion and empathy and just assume, you know what, maybe they're having a really tough day. I have no idea what's happening in their world. So I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just going to spread as much of my love and energy that I have to give right now. So we have choices in all of those moments. And the beautiful thing is we, we know this, right? It shifts. So now that person who you showed up with humanity and love, now they're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that love. Their energy starts shifting a little bit. Your energy shifts because the way you shift there. So we always have this choice and it's such a, a, a much more beautiful way to, to go through the, the world every day. Yeah. And people who are listening that may not know you or I might think, oh, that's great. These two just think like abandoned timelines and be late for everything. And that isn't what we mean. Yeah. What it means is that this morning, you know, if you were running late and the kids were sleeping in, you could have quickly just said, kids up, let's go. We're running late. Come on, go, go, go. Now you chose to get in and, uh, you know, be carefree about time, but there is a middle ground too, yeah. which is, you know, leaning in and saying, Hey kiddo, I love you so much. Good yeah. morning. I will yeah. love you even more if you get your buns yeah. in gear and get ready really quickly. Yeah. We gotta go. yeah. You know, and it, it, it really, it's not a big difference. Yeah. Um, there is a scale. So people always say, you know, how, how do I shift? You know, it, it just seems like a big shift to show up with purpose on purpose every single day. And I, for those of you, you know me well, Chris, and those of you who maybe are watching that don't, I am not a rainbows and unicorns kind of guy. Right. Um, you know, spiritual pragmatist, a little bit of woo and a lot of do. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I don't live in that fantasy land of, you know, uh, it's all positivity and, you know, life happens. And oftentimes life is challenging and some might even say life sucks. Um, we're in the middle of, you know, COVID 2020, what started back in March of this year. And here we are like September already. And we're starting to normalize a lot of the things that were major shifts in our lives not that long ago. And it just shows how adaptable we are as humans. And some of us have have, have had different reactions to things. Some of us have taken longer to adapt to certain things. I know lots of parents who maybe listeners are having to manage children at home and education and uh, and on top of being a professional, um, yes. you know, that that's a balancing act that some didn't acquire the skills to manage right away. It took some time and some are relearning now that we're back in school again in September. But what that shows us is that where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. And if we just choose to do this, if we choose to employ a moment, even a brief moment of pause before we rush to judgment or before we react to something quickly, if we just say to ourselves, I have a choice in how I'm showing up, that will create a, if you're a leader, definitely a, you know, a leadership legacy that is memorable. And as a parent, it's one of those things that is, just creates powerful bonds with the people, with your children. And, you know, someone who's part of a family, just your familial connections. And so there's a scale. It's not like you have to go from over here to way over here. There's, in many cases, tons of options that exist uh, between those two points and you know choosing one that is one step towards um, more grace more kindness 
more compassion and empathy is a step in the right direction. And I, I would I would say that to reminding everybody that a lot of times the self-compassion and grace actually starts with ourselves, <laughs> because if you're not kind and loving to yourself, it's going to be very difficult to do that with others. So let's be kind to each other and also to ourselves. <laughs> There's going to be days where you're not your best self. That's okay. Tomorrow's a, tomorrow's a new day. What are you going to do differently? And I've, I've been talking about this throughout COVID. Uh, I, we need to remember that we do have permission to feel. This isn't about toxic positivity, that we're supposed to be positive all the time. It's about recognizing that to be human is to have the full range of emotions. And that's a, actually a beautiful thing. We wouldn't see the contrast. It doesn't necessarily feel like that when you're in it and you're in the messiness. It's hard. And yeah, yeah. anyone who's in the messiness right now and it's listening and you're listening right now, I'm sending you a lot of love and, and recognizing it is hard. You could be having a really hard moment right now and, and that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. You're, you're human. And there, what I would suggest if anyone's feeling like that is there is a lot of support out there. So give yourself permission to ask for help. Yeah, 100%. That, that's, that's the stuff right there that incredible humans, be they individuals or leaders, are made of is giving ourselves permission to be what I call selfful. And, you know, it's this idea, again, talk about things that are ingrained in us at a very young age. Most of us are taught not to be selfish, to think of others first, to give is, to better, is better than to receive. And so a, a lot of us don't carve out the time that we need for us. And so my idea around being selfful is this, redefining of being selfish um, or selfless. And it's one that meets in the middle. It's one that says, in order to be of service to others, my cup has to be full. What overflows is for everyone else. But my cup has to be full. I've got to create the time. And some people are listening, thinking, I haven't got time. I'm, you know, professional. Uh, I'm mom, I'm teacher mom, I'm chief disinfector, I'm all these different things during COVID. And the truth is, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing or how long you're doing it, it's how you feel when you're doing those things for no matter the time you're doing them. So I write about this in the book, you know, it could be as simple as changing how you walk the dog. You know, instead of just walking the dog, thinking of it as a logistic task, think of it as a time for you to, those 15 minutes, really think about how you're showing up, things that you might want to change about yesterday, the things you might want to change about something that's coming up or how you show up. Really spend that time purposefully. It can be when you brush your teeth, for goodness sakes. If it's the yes. only time that you can get, you yeah. can be mindful in the four minutes it takes to brush your teeth. Yeah. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities. It's not all about putting your feet up on a beach in Hawaii mm -hmm. and thinking about you know every life decision and recalibrating everything. Yeah. That might be it for some people, but for so many of us who are working professionals, that's just not, not the option every single time you need to do this. And the way you and I are describing it is this is something, being selfless, something we've got to figure out every single day. Because as soon as our cup is depleted, it means we have to focus on us first because we can't be of service to others. Absolutely. And like you said, mindfulness shows up in the everyday moments and they're small moments going also for that walk and being in the present moment and seeing the tree, seeing the bee, seeing the flowers, seeing the grass, just being here because often we're in the past or the future, past and the future. And that creates a lot of that anxiety as well. Yeah. I think it creates a lot of an imposter syndrome as well. Yes. Uh, you know, especially when 
the downtime that we could, I mean, nothing like uh, iPhone, and I know Android users have access to this too, but that screen time uh, report, which yes. is scary. You know, people who say to me, uh, I don't have time, I don't have time. And sometimes I put them on the spot and I say, hey, um, I notice you've got an iPhone, a little application called screen time, could you right. open it for me? Yeah. And they say right away, you can see panic just across the face. <laughs> I, uh oh, I have been caught. Um, and they say, no, I'd rather not. And I say, so you think you have some time? Yeah, I think I probably have some time. Uh, or worse, they open it and they realize that, you know, six or seven hours a day are spent on their phone. And, uh, you know, yes. I have had those stats. I, I have seen those before. And then you scroll just a little bit further down and you see the applications that are eating that time. Yeah. And it's not oftentimes productivity tools like email, which some may argue is not a productivity tool, but let's <laughs> think of it in the business context, email or a word processor or, uh, you know, something like that. Those aren't the things that are eating our app usage. It's things like often social media. So on top of social media, we've got this imposter thing. So not only are we taking downtime and filling it with stuff that doesn't fill us up, but then we also are creating these comparison scenarios where we see some people being, you know, super mom and you think like you're not super mom yeah. or you've got, you know, dad extraordinaire and you're feeling like dad getting by, um, you know, you're feeling like, you know, this, you see these incredible leaders doing these incredible things. And meanwhile, as a leader, you feel like you're not showing up for your teams and you're, you know, you're not helping support a good team culture. You know, all these things that just fill us up these negative thoughts that fuel this idea of the ego in our in our minds yeah. are just not helpful so it's about tiny little shifts it's about if your phone usage is six hours and five of it is facetime the goal is to get it to four hours and then get it to three and get it to something that's manageable it's, this is all possible will way it's always there as long as we have one the other can be a consequence of of, of it so you know where there's a will there's a way i believe that really really strongly Absolutely. I do time tracking so often with clients and then they start, it's very, very eye-opening and enlightening when they start to see where the time's going. And then they start to even uh, a lot of times with emotions, they're actually using social media for numbing for many different ways, right? So it's just getting a little bit more data around why you're doing what you're doing and what would it look like to replace it with a, a more positive, healthier habit. And then all of a sudden that time exists, but a lot of times it's moving one bucket to something else to another bucket and things yeah. can look a lot different. 100%. So Cody, I knew we were going to have, I mean, we could be talking for another couple of hours on this book. It's, it's an amazing book. I, I recommend everyone check out Everyday Legacy. And Cody, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to leave your final thoughts with the audience. Final thoughts. No pressure. You didn't tell me I was going to have to do this. I, I think, I know, I believe that when we can shift the narrative around our own legacy from something we leave that maybe we are not aware of and we start to become conscious of it every single day we start to realize that we do have the power to impart our legacy while we're still here and understand how we are impacting the world that we are in while we are still in it and that is i think the most powerful thing that steers me every single day in addition to little tools like micro-acknowledgement and filling my own cup and taking time to pause and ultimately asking myself that question, how do I want to be remembered? Knowing death has no clock. And if that changes my existence on this planet tomorrow, how do I show up today as a leader, 
as someone who's in the space of HR and development, as a, as a son, as a brother, as a partner, all of those can be powerfully shifted with just a small shift yeah. in redefining what we think we know about legacy and considering it with just a different lens. Mm. Those would be my parting mm. words of advice. It, it's changed who I am and how I show up in the world. And I've seen it happen with other people too. Absolutely. It's just being intentional with the question you're asking. And it's, it truly is. It truly is powerful. Uh, thank you for being here today, Cody. Thank you for having me, Crystal. It's been a real pleasure. I am wishing everybody who is listening today an amazing rest of the day. Um, to learn more about Cody, uh, check my website, kristenharcourt.com. You'll see there the blog, the video, show notes, everything there. Have an amazing day.